Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello, Sixpackers, and welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode number eight. Today, ladies and gentlemen, I want to talk to you heart-to-heart about some things that are very dear to me. They'll explain a lot about why I do the things I do. Until about five years ago, I've shared the faith with non-Catholics in order to help them find their way into the church. I don't do that anymore, though. It's not because I no longer want to see people enter the Catholic Church. I still happily engage non-Catholics. I just don't seek them out anymore. Instead, I'm on a mission to reach out to Catholics. Certainly, I want to help bring lapsed Catholics back to the church, but my mission now focuses on helping practicing Catholics in the pew. Why? Well, they've been so poorly instructed in the faith over the last 50 years that most have slipped into the adoption of a way of thinking and lifestyle that doesn't even resemble the Catholic faith, but they think they're Catholic to the core. So I'm on a multifaceted mission to help change that. I said all of that to say this. Many Catholics today have absolutely no idea what to do or think in daily life activities and situations. All that we do or think must be a result of how we form our thought and conscience by being informed about our holy and ancient faith. But the vast majority of Catholics aren't informed about our faith. God has to be the highest priority in our lives. In order to make Him our highest priority, we must first know what He expects of us and why He expects those things. That's why, when I share the faith with people, I not only tell them what we're expected to believe, but why God wants us to believe it. Today's Catholics, many of them anyway, believe and promote things that not too many years ago would actually get them certified as insane by the psychological community. We're going to talk about some of those things right after this. I've been sharing the faith with people for over 30 years. The Holy Spirit has used me to make hundreds of converts and 84 of them are my adult godchildren. When the Holy Spirit works through us in a big way, He usually uses the talents given to us before we were even born. When we develop those talents for Him, we're often impelled to pass on to others what we've done and how we've done it for the greater glory of God. That's why I wrote the Lay Evangelist Handbook. You might say the Lay Evangelist Handbook was 30 years in the making, because in this book I share with you all the best that I've learned about how to share the faith with laps and non-Catholics so you can bring your friends and family to the fullness of divinely revealed truth. The very first chapter gives you a thorough explanation of the things you need to do to maximize your effectiveness so you won't end up with egg on your face when trying to engage people. I explain the differences between the various types of lay evangelists and others you can learn from. I even talk about some statistics that should help give you a real sense of urgency for sharing the faith. Then I get to the step-by-step process for sharing the faith. I give a full presentation of the exact text I've used and refined for 30 years. 
I tell you what to do, what to say, and how to do and say it, while leaving room for you to work in your own personality and make these techniques your own. There's no other book like this on the market. So get your print or ebook copy of the Lay Evangelist Handbook today. It's available in print on cantankerouscatholic.com or in print and ebook on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. I realize I'm older than most of you. Most of you are young enough to be my children or grandchildren. Statistically, my listeners range in age from 28 to 40 years old. I'm just an old fogey, but old people have a wealth of knowledge and experience they can share with younger people. I came of age in the 60s. I was thinking the other day of the stark contrast between the world today and the world then. Frankly, I don't recognize the world today, and I certainly don't recognize the nation I so proudly served in the military. Everything is vastly different from what it once was. You may be a Republican or a Democrat. I'm neither. I'm what political pundits call a constitutional conservative. Constitutional conservatives are considered by Democrats to be their greatest enemy, and the Republicans see us as their second greatest enemy. I began as a Democrat, but the Democratic Party left me. Then I became a Republican, but the Republican Party left me too. So even though pundits consider me a constitutional conservative, I just consider myself to be an American. I'm not a hyphenated American. I'm not a white American or a black American or a straight American or gay American. I'm just an American. My patriotism and how I identify myself have nothing to do with my military service or social justice issues, but rather I'm a patriot and identify as I do because I'm formed and informed by my faith and the Catholic Church's consistent 2,000 years teachings. Now bear with me while I lay a foundation for what I want to tell you. Turn your volume up and pay attention because I'm educating you. Natural law used to be the defining factor for everything in society. It was used in the legislation of our criminal and civil laws, the foreign policies of nations, and the way people live their lives. Natural law adherents don't have to believe in God, despite that he's the author of all nature. Indeed, a genuine atheist is completely guided by natural law, which is why a genuine atheist generally lives a better life than most Christians. I'm not talking about most people who call themselves atheists. Most self-professed atheists aren't really atheists at all. They're just people who claim atheism because they think that frees them from any obligation to live a moral life, that their morality can be whatever they deem it to be. A genuine atheist doesn't like that. A genuine atheist believes in a strict moral code, and they live according to that code as strictly as the sun exists in the law of nature that makes it rise every morning. But if they don't believe in God, why do they do that? Natural law is, as the name implies. Natural law informs our thinking simply by observing the world around us. This is why we intuitively know that it's wrong to steal, wrong to lie, wrong to unjustly take an innocent human life, and so forth. Natural law is so firm and so accurate that until 1973, all law schools required students to take a course in it as part of their core curriculum. 
all law students had to know the fine points of natural law because a thorough knowledge of natural law was necessary to be able to interpret legislated laws and the intent of the law's author. The reason why law schools stopped teaching natural law in 1973 was because of the infamous Supreme Court decision on Roe v. Wade. This decision legalized abortion in this country. Abortion gravely violates natural law because it unjustly takes an innocent human life. That's why schools stopped teaching natural law. Lawyers couldn't support a law of the land if they were expected to judge everything in the light of natural law. Now let's get back to the point of this episode. We can know all human truth from natural law. But liberals hate natural law because it shows all of their agenda is a lie. Everything they promote would have landed them in an insane asylum just 50 years ago. Let me repeat that. Every single thing they promote would have gotten them certified as insane 50 years ago. Just as we know from natural law that abortion takes an innocent human life, we also know there are two sexes so we can perpetuate the existence of the human race. Therefore, we know from natural law that homosexual activity and transgenderism are wrong. They violate natural law. That's not a judgmental statement about homosexuals or transgenders. Saying homosexual activity and transgenderism are wrong isn't a condemnation of the people who adhere to those things, because I don't have a right to condemn any human person. But my statement does condemn the act. Sexual activity by two people of the same sex is wrong. A person of one sex who tries to become another sex is wrong. Those things aren't natural. They're perverted. Our founding fathers were all great students of natural law, and they were proficient in understanding and explaining it. That's why they gave us those amendments to the Constitution we call the Bill of Rights. Those amendments don't cause the government to grant us those rights. Those rights are ours by human nature or natural law. The Bill of Rights is an acknowledgement by our government that it recognizes our natural rights and that it will defend and promote those rights. Identity politics is destroying America. People who engage in and promote identity politics do so by claiming rights under the First Amendment, yet try to destroy that amendment while doing so. The First Amendment says that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. People promoting identity politics claim freedom of speech, yet they want and expect government to silence various religions for disagreeing with them, especially Christianity. Let's take a closer look at the First Amendment. The First Amendment says that Congress can't make any law establishing or prohibiting religion, not that there must be a wall of separation between all things public and private regarding religion. Nor does it say that free speech can allow government to trump and silence a religious belief that disagrees with those who promote something contrary to that belief. The First Amendment regarding religion simply guarantees that Americans are free to practice their religion. This is why it's dead wrong for a homosexual couple to sue a Christian baker, florist, or photographer for refusing to participate in their attempt at marriage. 
The refusal of those business people to participate in a homosexual wedding isn't discrimination. It's the free exercise of their religious beliefs. So far, the Supreme Court has been consistent in defending the religious liberties of our people, but the trend among the lower courts and state governments isn't so bright, and my fear is that this trend will eventually influence Supreme Court decisions. Because of the natural rights of all people, the government, federal or state, has no business interfering in business in such a way that our rights are threatened. The idea that government could bully businesses in this regard began with the anti-discrimination laws of the 50s and 60s. I'm the very first one to acknowledge that businesses in the South that wouldn't serve black people just because they are black was a horrible thing that should have ended with Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation. But government vastly overreached its authority when it told those businesses they had to serve people they didn't want to serve. If I don't think a business should be refusing service to a minority, and I don't, then the way to express my loathing for that business is to spend my money elsewhere, not expect the government to fix it. Until the government begins to pay a business owner's rent, salaries, taxes, and other overhead, it has no right to tell a business how to treat people. Let the free market do that. If a restaurant won't serve Catholics, which means they won't serve me, then I have three choices. The first choice is to find a restaurant that will happily accept my money. The second choice is to not eat out at all. If I'm entrepreneurially minded, I can establish a restaurant that caters to Catholics and fill the obvious niche. In all three cases, governmental bullying of a business isn't an option. It's perfectly acceptable for government to regulate itself through anti-discriminatory policies, but not to force businesses to do so. The American people are good people, and when left to make social decisions on their own, they usually make the right decision. Even when they make a bad decision, Americans realize their mistake and correct it later. When we began on the slippery slope of allowing government to tell business who they had to serve, we opened the door for the sorts of lawsuits we see today against bakers, florists, and photographers. Not all speech is protected. People need to learn to understand just exactly what liberty is. Americans today think that liberty is doing whatever you want as long as it doesn't violate the law. This couldn't be further from the truth. License is doing as you want, liberty is doing as you ought. Liberty is protected by the Bill of Rights, but license isn't. Everyone has heard that the Supreme Court once ruled you can't shout fire in a crowded theater, but that isn't really what the High Court ruled on at all. In actuality, this came from the written opinion of Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes in Schneck v. the United States in 1919. The ruling held that the defendant's criticism of the draft was not protected by the First Amendment because it was intended to result in a crime and created a clear and present danger to the enlistment and recruiting service of the U.S. Armed Forces during a state of war. That would be World War I. That means that not all speech is protected, yet we no longer enforce this in America, largely out of fear of being seen as some sort of a bigot. 
For example, Representative Maxine Waters publicly called on Democrat constituents to confront Republicans and members of President Trump's cabinet wherever they could be found. Although she never specifically called for violence, most people interpreted it that way. Consequently, a number of high-profile Republicans, cabinet members, and pundits were attacked. Even Trump supporters have been attacked in public just for wearing a MAGA hat. If the Schneck decision was still held as enforceable, Maxine Waters would have been indicted for the things she said publicly. Another good example of license as opposed to liberty is from the Black Lives Matter movement. The St. Paul, Minnesota branch of Black Lives Matter rightly exercised their First Amendment right to protest when they began marching and chanting behind a group of police officers near state fairgrounds. However, their activity became illegal when they began to chant, Pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon. That chant was illegal because it was intended to invoke violence against police. Were they arrested? Heavens no, because to do so would have been seen as racist. But their chance resulted in a spate of ambush murders of police officers all across the country. The left is real good about silencing their opposition by saying everything they do or say is racist. It's become so bad, in fact, that now even Dr. Seuss's children's books have been deemed racist. All of these things are Marxist in nature. Even if adherence to this sort of behavior can't justly be called Marxist, the very least that can be said is that they're socialist. In fact, all the people who promote the absurd behaviors I've been talking about have been promoting pure socialism. But socialism can't be squared with Catholicism. In 1931, Pope Pius XI said, No one can be at the same time a sincere Catholic and a true socialist. The thing that amazes me the most is the conversations I've had with some practicing Catholics. Some practicing in the pew Catholics have told me that they support the bad things I talked about earlier, and they do so with a clear conscience. I don't blame them, though. I blame the institutional church in America because the bishops and priests haven't passed on the faith as they were obliged to do so. Instead, they've only given the laity a lot of emotionally laden platitudes with watered-down milquetoast passed off as Catholic teaching. And most of the social teachings they've given us the last 50 years aren't the church's teachings at all. Many of them are actually diametrically opposed to Catholic teaching. You may find this hard to swallow, but it's not possible to be a Catholic who knows and understands the faith and be a modern liberal at the same time. Modern liberalism promotes acceptance of homosexuality, same-sex marriage, transgenderism, complete sexual freedom without restriction, abortion, contraception, the persecution of Israel and Jews, class envy, and the persecution of Christians and their churches who don't go along with the liberal agenda. Indeed, the list could be a lot longer than this. None of this is compatible with Catholicism, and if you didn't know that, you need to become informed about genuine Catholic teaching. In future episodes, I'm going to cover other inalienable rights in the Bill of Rights from a genuine Catholic perspective. 
If you want to learn about that, tune in for future episodes. If you want to learn why the Catholic faith applies to the things I say, you'll want to go to the resource links in my show notes to begin getting invitations to the free and well-attended weekly webinars I host. You'll get everything the Catholic Church teaches in the most common sense and interesting way you can imagine. And you can ask me any question you want during the webinar. You'll hear me tell things like proof for the existence of God, proof that the Bible is inspired, proof that purgatory exists and why purgatory is important, proof that Jesus established the Catholic Church and why we must belong to it and accept all its teachings, and much, much more. Don't forget to go to the show notes below this episode on my website, cantankerouscatholic.com, and register to join us. What did Billy D. Williams the celebrated American artist Norman Rockwell and famed comedian Jimmy Durante have to do with one man's journey from conservative Judaism to the cross. Everything. Marty Barrick has lived one of the most fascinating conversion journeys ever told. In Calvary Road, Marty's biography, you can read about Marty's military service with Billy D. Williams, how Norman Rockwell helped him pass a college course, how in his deep abiding love for his late wife, Marty helped Irene travel the road of sanctity. How the times are quickly reaching critical mass for fulfilling prophecy concerning the Jews, and much, much more. Get your copy of Calvary Road by Marty Barrick today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo. Only a fool believes the Catholic Church isn't in shambles. Christ's church is full of scandal, our current pontiff is in blatant heresy, and the laity live in a perpetual state of confusion. But there's hope. There are still a handful of bishops we can count on for orthodox leadership, priests who love and work for souls, and laity-led apostolates that serve divinely revealed truth in every way imaginable. We want to do a great service for you by telling you about them in every episode. So here's today's Catholic Contribution. Historically, the dioceses in Washington are very liberal, and they've been led by liberal bishops for the past 40 years or so. Things seem to be changing for Catholics in Washington, at least in Spokane and leads to today's Catholic contributor. Bishop Thomas Daly was born April 30, 1960 in San Francisco. He earned a bachelor's degree from the University of San Francisco in 1982, a Master's of Divinity from St. Patrick's Seminary in Menlo Park, California in 1987, and a Master of Education degree from Boston College in 1996. He was ordained a priest for the Archdiocese of San Francisco in 1987. Pope Benedict XVI named him Auxiliary Bishop of the Diocese of San Jose on March 16, 2011. He was ordained a bishop two months later on May 25, 2011. Pope Francis named him the 7th Bishop of Spokane on March 12, 2015. Bishop Daly was installed on May 20, 2015 in the Cathedral of Our Lady of Lourdes in Spokane. 
Bishop Daly has been an incredibly outspoken voice of orthodoxy, especially concerning the diabolical aspects of the homosexual network in the priesthood. This faithful shepherd is recalling his brother bishops to a much-needed spiritual reformation and renewal. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. A party of men were visiting their friend in his home. There was some drinking, then an argument ensued over a card game. They used horrible, filthy language so loudly that it could be heard outside. The host, a devout Catholic, tried to persuade his guests to settle down and stop using such horrible language, but they paid no attention to him. So he walked over to the crucifix hanging on the wall, took it down, and carried it out of the room. The guests were astonished and asked him why he did that. He replied, words like yours crucified Christ. Don't torment him by making him listen to any more of your filthy language. The men were so ashamed and touched by this lesson that they soon left for their homes, but they never forgot the incident. Most people wouldn't have had the courage to do what the host did because they'd rather displease God than offend men. But God and his favor should always be our highest priority. Remember that admonishing the sinner is one of the seven spiritual works of mercy, and we all have an obligation to practice it. I'll see you next time, six-packers. And remember, comfort and conviction don't live on the same block. This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.